Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grinded Podcast. Today we're going to cover or begin to cover Hebrews chapter 9. This will be a two-part series. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, the author of Hebrews is writing this one long letter uh, to these this group of Jewish Christians who uh, they're being persecuted because of their faith. He, he mentions they've been beaten, they've been jailed, and they've uh, lost their possessions all because of their faith in Jesus and for following Jesus. And they're looking over here saying, well, this wasn't happening when I was in Judaism and I was able to serve God uh, in 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 Judaism, so I'm I'm you know grandma and grandpa, my aunt and uncle, my 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 brother, my sister, my mom and my dad, my 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 children, we're a whole lot safer if we go back over there into Judaism. So we're we're going back to Judaism, and because we don't like this persecution business, it's too hard. And and so he's writing this long letter. We you know we divide it up into chapters and, and verses, but when it was originally written, it's just one long letter, and 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 so. He writes this letter per, trying to persuade them to stay with Jesus because Jesus is better. He's he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the law. He, he He's established this new covenant because he has offered himself as the sacrifice and he shed his own blood to pay the price for our sin. Um, if you think about it, God has put on flesh become a man and laid down his life for the sins of man which makes Jesus who was God in the flesh better because he offered his own blood and he talks about over and over again how these these priests they couldn't offer their own blood but they would offer the blood of bulls and goats and and all these animal sacrifices that could never wash away sins like the blood of Jesus it only covered sins and he's going to come back to that point in this chapter. Um, but at the end of chapter 8 and last chapter that we covered, uh, the author says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. And so in chapter 9, he's going to continue this theme. And he starts out by saying, That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. And I, I want to stop with that first verse and we'll get back in uh, to the rest of those verses here in a few minutes. But I, I want to talk about what he just said. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. You see, the, the, the law was written for and it was given to the Jews. The Jews are God's chosen people of the Old Testament. They were the apple of his eye. That's what he said they, about Israel. They, Israel is God's choicest vine of the Old Testament. And it all started with Abraham. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Abraham, that's what the Hebrew author was talking about earlier uh, in, in a couple of chapters ago about uh, Abraham and how God made a covenant with Abraham and the Jews came from Abraham and all these promises came through Abraham, but now the new covenant is based on better promises. And, and so the law was given to the Jews. It was written for the Jews, for them to uh, know what sin is, but also to know 
what um, what was pleasing to God and what was displeasing to God. He, he he gave them a bunch of rules and regulations on how to worship Him while they were here on this earth uh, and while they were alive. And so he set up the tabernacle system. And then David wanted to build a permanent place because the tabernacle was made to move around because they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And so David wanted to build a permanent place for God uh, to dwell here on the earth. And and God said, no, because you've shed blood, so I'll I'll let your son do that. And and so Solomon ends up building the first temple, uh, which will be destroyed. Then it's going to be rebuilt later on after that 70 years of desolation when the Babylonians came in and, and destroyed it and destroyed Jerusalem. Um, but understand that the, that the Jews were given the law, right? And so, um, kind of the, we could say then that the, the, uh, the old covenant was restricted to the Jews, the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile period. And, and, and you know, anybody that is not a Jew, they fit in the category, no matter what nationality, what race they are, whatever, they fit in 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 the nationality of or they fit in the category of Gentiles, and so uh, the old covenant then was made specifically for the Jews, and everybody else was left to uh, fend for themselves, if you will. And so, what makes the new covenant better? This one that Jesus has established by offering Himself and shedding His blood uh, is that. Now, the Gentiles are included. It's not specifically to the Jews. Now, when Jesus, when he first uh, come on the scene and he started his ministry, let's say John the baptizer has baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and Jesus goes around and he chooses his 12 disciples that he would pour himself into over the next three to three and a half years, he would tell them, when he would send them out on a mission, he would tell them specifically only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Only go to the Jews. But there was a time coming that the Gentiles would be grafted into the kingdom. And in John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says this, and this is the chapter about Jesus being the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, talking about Israel. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. But and he's talking about Israel there. I'm sacrificing my life for Israel, for my people, the Jews. But listen to what he says in verse 16. I have other sheep, too, that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Not, not two different flocks. There's not going to be Jews and Gentiles. There's going to be one flock under this new covenant. The Jews and the Gentiles are going to be reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He, he, he said, I'm, I'm dying for the Jews, but hey, there, there, there's other sheep that are not among the Jews. And he's talking about the Gentiles. And, and so it, it, and see, he says, I must bring them also. They're going to listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, and I'm going to be the one shepherd over the one flock, the Jews and the Gentiles. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, Paul says this. 
And he's talking about Christians, uh, and he's talking to Jews and Gentiles alike. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And and in particular, he's talking to to the Jews here because they're struggling with not keeping the law anymore. And, and and that would be a, that, that's why they would chase Paul when we studied Acts and you can go back and listen to those podcasts. But when we studied the Book of Acts in detail, we just saw, saw this all the time that Paul was chased from city to city because he's going around telling the Gentiles you don't have to to be circumcised, you don't have to you don't have to follow all these religious uh, uh, ways and these these feast days and all this stuff. Uh, it, it's all about Jesus. And so the Jews were very upset with Paul, and, and they tried to kill him, they stoned him, they beat him, um, and, and, but yet he kept going. Um, but in Galatians 3, 26-29, he writes this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's key. In Christ Jesus. He is the one shepherd, right? And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. So they've been baptized in the watery grave, and they've been brought up the new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, talking about all Jews and Gentiles alike, and then he says, um, he says, you've all been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Remember what Jesus said: they're they're going to be one. The the other sheep that are coming, which is the Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, they're going to be one with one shepherd. And here's Paul saying, you all of y'all who have been united. With Christ in baptism and put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one, there it is, in Christ Jesus. There's Yes, you may be a born a Jew and you may be born a Gentile, but in God's kingdom you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're walking with Jesus Christ. Therefore, it does not matter if you're Jew or Gentile. You belong to Jesus. You are one in Christ and and you see this picture of unity just as Jesus had told his disciples and he had told this woman uh, uh, or in John 10 he he, he was telling his disciples by him being the good shepherd and there's these uh, two different flocks who will come together and be one and he will be uh, the shepherd over that one flock so the Jews and Gentiles will be unified and they are in God's kingdom. Uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. And, and that's what the Hebrew author has been saying this whole time. That when we come to, to Jesus, we are a seed of Abraham. And Paul is, Paul is saying that here in, in, in Galatians 3, verse 29. You, are, uh, you belong to Christ. Uh, now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you and that's what the hebrew author is saying that and this is one of the reasons why a lot of people attribute the book of hebrews to paul but paul usually signs his letters but if he wrote hebrews he didn't sign off on it but the 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 whole thing that the uh, hebrew author is trying to emphasize to the people is that uh that jesus is better and one of the reasons why he gives that is because the new covenant is based on better promises and here's paul saying you are heirs if you belong to jesus you are an heir to jesus and god's promises to abraham or promise to abraham belongs to you um, but to show you a, a great example of how um uh, jews and gentiles are now unified in christ we are one uh in, in one flock just as jesus said we would be um is it is the woman at the well 
in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, um, Jesus is in Samaria. He's talking to a Samaritan woman who's come out in the heat of the day to, to draw water from the well because she's an outcast of her society. She's been married five times and she's living with a man at this point. And Jesus is having a conversation with this woman and his disciples are gone. And, and if you were a Jew, you didn't, you didn't step foot on Samaritan soil because you were considered unclean if you did. And Jesus said in verse 4 of John 4, I love the King James Version, which says he must needs go through Samaria. In other words, Jesus had to go through Samaria because of this divine appointment. And so he has this conversation with this woman, this Samaritan woman. And she's even questioning Jesus. She's like, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus is like, if you only knew who I was, you, you would be glad to have this conversation with me. And so he tells her about her sin. And in verse 19, she says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is only the place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? And Jesus replied, now check this out what Jesus tells her. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Huh? There's coming a time that it doesn't matter if you're on this mountain, that mountain, or that mountain way over there. None of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is that you believe in me and you're following me. That's what he's saying here. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. That day is coming. He says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship because you know, God came for, uh, or the Jews were for, uh, uh, were God's chosen people. Uh, and uh, Samaritans were, uh, forgive me for this term, but they were, they were, uh, they were half-breeds. They, that's what they were known as. They were hated by the Jews. They, and, and what happened was when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and they carried some people back uh, with them and brought them into their land and dispersed them among the people, well, they started... Uh, uh, intermarrying uh, the Gentiles. And so you had Jews marrying Gentiles and, and of course married people have sex and have children and therefore this new race I guess you would call uh, these people were called Samaritans. They, they were, it was, they were uh, born from that time period. And so the Jews they hated the Samaritans because they were seen as just just dogs. They were just seen as, as you know, they, they were just hated. That's the only way I could put it, the best way I could put it. The Jews hated the Samaritans. That's why they would not even step foot on Samaritan soil. They would go way out of their way and go around Samaria. And and, and Jesus says, you Samaritans, you, you, you know, you only know a little bit about the one you worship while we Jews, we know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, Jesus says, and indeed it's here now because he's talking about himself. The time is now. It's come. I am talking to you as God in the flesh. I, and he's going to tell her, I am the Messiah. It's pretty cool. Um, but he says the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter what mountain you worship on, Gerizim or in Jerusalem. Here's what matters, is that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I believe it was Nicodemus that Jesus had told 
the same thing to, and I believe it's in John chapter 3, that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Man, how cool is that? Jesus says, y'all don't know much about the one you worship, but we, we Jews, we, we know him very well because uh, we were God's chosen people. Uh, y'all were just left to defend on yourselves, so to speak, you know, try to figure it out on your own. But there's coming a day when we, we, we're going to be able to worship him uh, and, and we can, everybody, We'll be able to know him in an intimate way. And it's not going to involve any of any of the mountains. Gerizim, Jerusalem, it doesn't matter if you're on one of them hills way far over yonder or out there in the desert or, or over there by the pond, whatever. Jesus says what matters is that we worship him in spirit and truth. And and, and so this, this conversation with this Samaritan woman inside Samaria on Samaritan soil between Jesus, who is a Jew, and the Samaritan woman is a great example of, 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 of this unity and in, in, in God welcoming uh, the Gentile people, us, into the fold. And so now you have Jews and Gentiles, even these dirty dog Samaritans that the Jews hated. Yes, even they can be saved. And that's... that's uh, uh, when Jesus was uh, right before he ascended into heaven, he's he's in Acts chapter one. He's there with his disciples, and they're like, "We want to know is God going to restore uh, the the kingdom, uh, the the power back to us? You know, because we want to kick these Romans' butts, and, and and you know, we want to rule and reign again." And and Jesus says, "You know, y'all need to wait for uh, uh, the promise of the Father." He's talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to fall on them in Acts chapter two, and uh, and he tells them. Once that happens, you're going to start in Jerusalem, and you're going to go out into Judea, and then he says into Samaria, and then to the other parts of the earth. And so that's exactly what we see happen. We see the church begin in Acts chapter two, and the the Holy Spirit falls on on the apostles, and 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 all these Jews from all over there gather for the the feast of Pentecost, and and they hear their languages, and and they hear the message of Jesus, and how God. Uh, sin his son and how they've crucified the Messiah they've been looking for and they're convicted and they say men and brethren what should we do well how do we correct this and Peter says uh, in 38 through 41 repent be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you will receive forgiveness of your sins and, and, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and and, uh, and so that day it kicked it all off and then the church stayed in Jerusalem for quite a long time. Then around chapter 8, you have persecution coming along. Stephen is is uh, 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 is stoned. And, and then Saul, who later becomes Paul, uh, is out wreaking havoc. And he's going from house to house. And he's grabbing men and women, grandma and grandpa's aunts and uncles. And he's pulling them out of the house. And he's bringing them to jail and prison. Uh, many were killed for their faith. And because of that persecution... Uh, the church is scattered. They, it, it leaves Jerusalem, and it goes just like Jesus said. They, they go out in, into Judea, and then the next thing you know, we we have the story of, of uh, um, Philip going into Samaria, where he will settle with his family. 
and, 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 and it says that great joy was brought to that city and men and women were, were baptized into Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we start to see this picture of exactly what Jesus said, that I have sheep that are not of this fold, talking about the Gentiles, and, and, and we, because of persecution uh, and the church spreads, when the, when the gospel message goes outside of Jerusalem, and the Gentiles start hearing it, and they're like, "Woo, we want a part of this, and we need salvation. And so the Jews and the Gentiles are welcomed into the fold. And it was a struggle for the Jews. I believe it's in Acts chapter 10. It's, it's, uh, in the story of Cornelius, when, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles there, and Peter baptized him, at the end of, I believe it's chapter 10, it says that they went out preaching the gospel, but they, they only went out to the Jews only. So this was a struggle for even the Jewish Christians when, when the church first began. And we still see this in Galatians, I believe, when, when uh, Paul has to confront Peter because when the Jews, that he was eating with the Gentiles, but when the, the Jews came in, Peter separated himself from the Gentiles and went and ate with the Jews. Uh, and Paul says, look, dude, this, is, nope, this ain't going to fly here. You, you're not going to... Uh, be two-faced. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But my point is the new covenant is better because now it's not only Jews only, but it's Jews and Gentiles. And we are Gentiles if we are not a Jew. And we can be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God the Father. We can accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and we can worship God in spirit and in truth, just as Jesus uh, said it was going to happen, and it's happened, and it's still happening 2,000 years later. So the new covenant then is better because it's for everybody, both Jew and Gentile. And that's what he's going to say here in chapter 9. He says that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms, and he starts talking about the tabernacle. I love this. There were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room were a, were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of the bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. And there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place, or the holiest of holies. In that room uh, were a golden incense altar uh, and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered by the, uh, with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, iron staff that sprouted leaves, and stone tablets of the covenant above the ark were cherubim of divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover and that's called the mercy seat uh the place of atonement is what he says and that's where the priest would come in and sprinkle the blood of the the animals on behalf of the uh people of israel <clears throat> but he says we cannot explain these things in detail now um so i want to talk about a few things that he says here and keep in mind back in chapter four that uh, the author says that they that the people now, because of the blood of Jesus, that we have direct access to the throne of God, and that we can go. We don't need a priest to go to God on our behalf. We can go straight to God in prayer. We can go before the presence, the very presence of God, the throne of God, through prayer because of the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, and we can find help in time of need and so it, it, i believe it was in chapter four yeah in chapter four he had, he had told them that so keep that in mind as we talk about this but 
with the when I read what he says here in chapter nine, the first thing that comes to my mind was is this: in the first covenant, in the Old Testament, under the tabernacle and the temple, uh, because the tabernacle and temple was basically the same thing. The tabernacle could be picked up and moved around as they traveled, but the tabernacle was I mean the temple was there in Jerusalem. It was a permanent dwelling place, which would be destroyed. Uh, I think around A.D. 70 by the Romans, just as Jesus said it would. Um, but it's still standing at the time of this, this writing of this, this book of Hebrews. But keep in mind in chapter 4 uh, that, they ha- that the, the Hebrew author says you have direct access to the throne of God and you can go directly to God uh, for help in time of need. But with this first covenant then, when we read what he says in chapter 9, the first thing I think of is separation. There was separation. The people were separated from God because they had to have. They, they, you can just not willy nilly into the temple or into the tabernacle and 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 go make your sacrifices and 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 go into the holy place and and partake of the 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 showbread and the and the the candles and and burn incense. You couldn't do that. Uh, you had to be a priest, and you had to have a priest to make intercession for you. And so that priest would have to go before God on the people's behalf. So there was this separation between God and the people. But also there was another separation between God and the priest because there was a curtain between the holiest of holies and the holy place. And and the priest could only go into the holiest of holies one time a year. One time a year and to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And that is called uh, the Day of Atonement. And you can Google that and you can read all about that in, in the Old Testament. Uh, I believe it's in the book of Leviticus. I can't remember exactly what chapter. I thought I had it in my notes, but I don't see it. Uh, but it's called the Day of Atonement and you can find that very easily. So another reason why uh, the, the New Covenant is better because with Jesus, with the sacrifice that he made there is no more separation between God and man. That when, when Jesus died on the cross, and you can go read this in the Gospels, but when, when, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the priest from God was torn in two from top to bottom as if God just took his big old hands and just ripped that huge thick curtain in half, signifying that there is no more separation between God and man because the blood of his son Jesus we now have direct access to the throne of God, which makes the new covenant way better and much more awesome. Um, there were three items in the holy place, uh, the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Now, the, the author of Hebrews puts the altar of incense on the other side of the veil, but I'm 99.9% sure, almost 100% sure that the altar of incense, and I don't know why he did that, but the altar of incense was on this side of the veil in the holiest of holies. Um, the lampstand uh, is—it's it, light. I mean, you, you, they they lit candles. It lit up the room. And what's interesting is in John eight twelve, Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." And the, then you have the table of showbread in the holy uh, in the holy place, uh, where it, you know if you remember the story of David, he was on the run. Uh, before he became king when Saul was trying to kill him and he was starving. And so he, he goes inside the tabernacle and he steals the bread that was consecrated for the priest that was on this table of showbread 
he knew where he could get some food very easily. And so he goes in and he literally steals the bread and feeds himself and his men. Um, so you have this table of showbread inside there. On one side of the room, you got the, the candles. On the other side, you have this table of showbread. Well, what did Jesus say in John six thirty five? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But he says, I am the bread of life. So you got the candles that represent Jesus, the light of the world. You have the bread that represents Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. And then there's the altar of incense. And incense throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, book of Revelation, uh, Psalm 141, verse 2, the incense represents prayer. David, I believe it's a Psalm of David, Psalm 141, the psalmist says, "May, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice and that's what what they would do was that they would burn incense and they would hold this incense up and and the smoke of the incense would just fill the room and and uh, i remember uh, as a teenager uh at this uh i used to be a part of a huge uh pentecostal church the first assembly of god in Milan, tennessee and and uh we had a jew come in and uh he he was a a, a christian and he uh put on um, the Passover meal for us. And he also did this. He burned some incense, and it was the sweetest smell. And for weeks, we would hold services, and you could smell that sweet smell of that incense. And and, and so and he talked about this, how the, the, the priest would go in, and, and, and he would crush the incense, and he would burn the incense, and he would hold it up as, as he was praising God. And that smoke would just fill the holy place well if incense represents prayer well what what did the hebrew author say in hebrews seven twenty five about jesus he is sitting at the father's right hand making intercession for us he is praying on our behalf because of his blood we are forgiven and so yes we're sinners still but we're saved sinners because of the blood of Jesus. Nothing that we could do could save us. Nothing. It doesn't matter how many people we baptize, how many people we share Jesus with, no matter how many times we pray for it, None of that matters. The only thing that matters is the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. And he is sitting at the Father and he's saying, Father, uh, they've been washed in my blood. They're forgiven. And so <clears throat> the incense then, represents the intercession, the prayers that Jesus makes on our behalf. The tabernacle and the temple were representing what was about to come with the Messiah, with with Jesus. It was all about Jesus. From, From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And the Hebrew author is trying to get them to understand this, that Jesus is better. Even uh, he's going to mention this later on in the book, uh, in the letter. But uh, if you go back to the tabernacle in the, t- in the temple, uh, it was representing what was to come. And the first thing, when you walked inside the tabernacle, the first thing that you would you would uh, encounter was the altar uh, of sacrifice or altar of the burnt offerings. And, and, and they would kill these animals and offer them over fire and burn these sacrifices up to God. And he would say, oh, it's a sweet uh, smell into my nostrils. 
Well, what did Jesus say in Luke 9.23? He says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourselves and take up your cross daily and follow me. What happens at the cross? Death. A sacrifice. Jesus died. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. And if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to get to the holiest of holies, and we want to get to God, the first thing we have to do is make a sacrifice. And we have to sacrifice our, our selfish wants and needs and our will and, and put on Christ. Romans 12, 1-3, Therefore, Paul says, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. We are to make a sacrifice if we want to worship God, if we want to get into heaven, if we want to be washed in the blood of Jesus, we have to get on the cross. Well, the next thing after the altar, and this is really brief, but the next thing you would encounter after making the sacrifice, if you were going to the holy place and to the holiest of holies, if you're trying to get to into the presence of God, you make the sacrifice. Well, the next thing that, that they made, uh, they, they would go to the brazen labor and wash. There is this big old bronze tub full of water. And, and, and they would wash. And, it, and it, it, it represents baptism, the sacrifice and the washing. You want to come to Jesus? You want to come into the presence of God? You make a sacrifice yourself. You die to yourself. And you are baptized into Jesus Christ. In Mark 16, 15, and 16, there's just a couple of verses I want to throw at you. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and the resurrection to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized, there's a conjunction word there. It's not, this is not an option. This is a command from Jesus. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe, well, obviously, if they don't believe, they're not going to be baptized. So they're going to be condemned. I don't understand why people make baptism an, an option. It, 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 and they just say, oh, you have to do is believe in your heart. That's just not what the Bible teaches. Um, over and over again, uh, when the church began in Acts chapter 2, the examples that are given, they were all baptized. And Paul continues to talk about people being baptized. So, so why argue the point? Just do what they did and get what they got. Anyway, Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has uh, fallen on the disciples, right? Peter stands up and he preaches how they've crucified Jesus. And when the people, the Jews, they were together there on the, the feast for the feast of Pentecost. When they heard this message, they were cut to the heart. They they were con, they were uh, uh, pricked to the heart. They were um, the Holy Spirit had 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 uh, convinced them that hey, you're guilty. And uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. He didn't say just say this prayer after me. I won't count to three. Raise your hand if you want to be saved. No, he says, repent of your sins and be baptized in water. That's what he means here. There's no argument to it. That is facts. Repent and be baptized. There's a conjunction word there. And repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children, all that are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
And those who accepted his message were baptized. They didn't say a prayer. No, they were baptized in water. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Why? why? I'm not going to belabor the point, but just do what the Bible says and don't argue with it. I mean, why is that so difficult? There was a curtain that separated God from man. So you, 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 you want to get to the, into God's presence behind that curtain. You come into the tabernacle. You come to the temple. You have to make a sacrifice. You have to be washed. That's baptism. And then you can come into the holy place. And there, there's the, the candles that represent Jesus, the light of the world. There assists the table of showbread that represents the body of Jesus that will be broken on our behalf. Or he is the bread of life. Uh, then you have the altar of incense, which represents Jesus and him making intercession on our behalf. And then there's this curtain that separated the holiest of holies and the holy place. And, and, and so only with blood, the priest could go uh, one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And, and, and that is actually found in Leviticus 15 and 16. But they could go in on the Day of Atonement one time a year into the presence of God. And they would have to put bells on. And they would tie a rope to the to the foot of the priest because if he died in God's presence, they would have to pull him out because they could not go behind the curtain. So they would have to pull him out by that rope. So they would listen for the bells, and if the bell stopped, well, you know, oh, oh Bob must be dead, so we got to pull him out uh, with the rope. But this curtain it separated God from man, and and the priest could go into the presence of God that one time a year. But he had to have made all kinds of sacrifices for himself. And then he would make a sacrifice on behalf of, uh, of the Hebrew people or, or the Jews. And then he could go into the holiest of holies uh, after, uh, after doing all of this where God resided. And then in the holiest of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which was this box covered in gold. And then on top of that box was this uh, it had two angels with the wings touching and it was called the mercy seat and the priest would go in and he would drip blood on the mercy seat uh, to cover the sins of Israel um, to satisfy God if you if I can put it that way uh, on Israel's behalf with the blood of these sacrificed animals but in the Ark of the Covenant there were three things and you can read about this uh, in Exodus 25 um, it had the gold jar containing manna, the body of Christ. It had Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves. It, it, the other, most translations say Aaron's rod that budded. Um, the New Living Translation says Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves. To me, I haven't looked this up, but to me, this is what Aaron's staff represents. I think it's really cool because um, if you think about it, 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 it represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason why I say that is because this, this, this staff is made of a certain type of wood that was cut off of a living tree at one point, which means that staff would have had to have died because when you, when you cut something off, especially a tree branch from its food source and its water source, it's going to wither. I, I, across the street, my neighbor's tree fell, and, and I went over and cut it up and, and, and moved it to the side of the road for her. And it's been there now for a week or two. And, and she's waiting for somebody to haul it off for her. And, and you know what's happened? That tree was nice and green and, uh, as a Bradford pear. And when it collapsed and I cut it up, I, it was removed from its food source. 
And therefore, since it's not getting any kind of nutrition, <coughs> it died. And it's over there, and it's just brown. It's convenient. It's ready to be burned. And so Aaron's rod would have been cut off a certain type of tree, and that branch would have died, and it was buried when it was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. And yet it continued to bud. It continued to sprout leaves showing it's not dead. It's actually alive, which is really, really cool. So you got the gold inside the Ark of the Covenant, you got the golden jar full of manna, which is the body of Christ. You have the Aaron staff, the sprouted leaves, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then you have the stone tablets of the covenant, which uh, represents the law, which Jesus fulfilled. Moses has said to you, but I say to you, right? It all points to Jesus, the Messiah who they were looking for. And then uh, you come over into the New Testament and Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, and now they're, they're looking back. The, the, the author of Hebrews is looking back, trying to get these people to keep their eyes on Jesus. 2,000 years later, we're looking back and we're pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing people to the cross. In the Old Testament, they were looking to the cross. They were looking forward. In the New Testament, we're looking back and saying our lives literally depend upon Jesus and the cross and, and and i can i can kind of understand where the people are coming from because of persecution they want to go back into judaism where it was much safer and it was easier and that's something that's been going on this you know this was the the covenant god established with abraham the, the father of the jews way back in genesis 17 he said this is the everlasting covenant and and so i can see why they're 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 having a hard time with this especially with the persecution but the, the Hebrew author is saying, look, no, th- that, that God's no longer there. It's empty. It's all about Jesus, who is way better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the law. He's, he's better than Abraham. He, he is better because he's the best high priest. He made a, a sacrifice on our behalf, and he's sitting at the Father's right hand where he's making intercession for the people. And so the concept that he is trying to imply to them or tell them just straight out is Jesus is better than all of that old covenant stuff. It, it's, it's obsolete, he says. Jesus is better. And he's going to uh, say this and we'll end the podcast and we'll pick it back up with the next one. He says, when these things were all in place, the priests regu- regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to, con- to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of of this created world with his own blood not with the blood of goats and calves he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption for ever i want to end with this you know it to me it it, it's just pretty amazing that god has planned 
even before he ever made man. He he knew that man was going to sin. So he, he he already had a plan in place. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians. The, the church was God's eternal purpose. He already had a plan in place to redeem man. That's amazing. And when Adam and Eve sinned, boom, he makes the first sacrifice and he makes them coverings out of the, the animal's uh, skins. So he already had a plan established in place that that God himself would put on flesh and come to this earth and live as a human, live as you and I live, and go through all the temptations just like we do on a daily basis, and yet he never sinned not one time, making him eligible to be the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice that could wash away all of our sins, past, present, and future. He then willingly laid down his life and suffered great torture uh, and pain before the cross and at the cross. It was there that he shed his blood on our behalf, becoming our Passover lamb that will be offered on our behalf, even while we were enemies. And I'm going to end with Romans 5, 6 through 11. For when we were, Paul says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through, uh, through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, that just means being made friends again, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. While we were enemies, Paul said, Christ died for us. We don't have to get our lives right to come to God. I hear people say this all the time. I need to, I need to quit something. I need, I need to work on something. I need to get my life right, and then I'll come to Jesus. No, friends, it does not work like that. You come to Jesus, and he'll make your life right. You give your you, you sacrifice yourself and you put on Christ and you're baptized in that water, your grave, and you come up out of that water a new creation. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what? You're, you're still going to sin because that's what we do. We're humans, but we're saved through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why it's a better covenant. Our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. They're, 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 it's not like God gets amnesia and forgets all about our sin, but the penalty, we're forgiven. All because of what Jesus did on the cross, and he shed his blood. And, and, and as we start to follow Jesus, it's a process. We, we're forgiven, and, 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 and um, sanctification comes, and, and we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by anything that we do. There's not a work that we can do that saves us. It's only by the, the grace and mercy of God through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're saved. And the word justified means just if I never sinned. That's how God looks at us if we're washed in the blood of Jesus. Look at the people that he, that he took in the old, like Paul, who was Saul, who was there at the stoning of Stephen. He murdered people. He, had, he, he was grabbing men and women and throwing them in prison. He was a murderer. And yet, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament because he accepted Christ and lived for Jesus and was forgiven. And he became 
probably the greatest missionary that's ever walked the face of this earth. And he went into the Gentiles and he went to the Jews and he preached about Jesus and taught about Jesus and converted thousands of people to Jesus. Imagine what God would do through you and the people he would reach through you if you would realize Jesus is better, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, the only way into the holiest of holies. The only way into the presence of God to be washed in the blood of Jesus. And all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as your Lord and Savior and be baptized in a watery grave and start walking with Jesus. It's literally that simple. Why would anybody reject that? Yet they do on a daily basis. I don't understand it, but they do. Are you going to continue to reject Jesus or are you going to follow Jesus? And if you are following Jesus, you've been on that cross. You are a part of this new covenant that the Hebrew author is talking about. Please share the message of Jesus and his love and what he has done for you in your life and how he has saved you with others that you know are lost and give them that opportunity to know Jesus and walk with him. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. We'll pick up and finish Hebrews chapter 9 in the next podcast. Keep grinding and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Grinded Podcast today. May God bless you. If you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.